Welcome once again to the Brattlecast, a first-hand look at second-hand books. I'm Jordan Rich, and of course I'm with Ken Gloss of the Brattle Bookshop in Boston. And it's one place that you definitely want to catch if you're coming to the city for a visit. It's a must-see. And it's stories here in this podcast about books, about old, rare, and out-of-print books, and other things, like the one we're going to talk about today, other collectible items. And Ken, uh, we have something kind of special for the kid and all of us. We're going to talk about J.R.R. Tolkien of The Hobbit fame and uh, Lord of the Rings, but this involves a particular letter that you have in your collection. It's it's about Tolkien, but I'm going to do the whole story of how some of these come about, how when we're out looking for things, how they sometimes come to us. And sometimes it's sort of a direct route, and sometimes mm. it's indirect, and sometimes it's quick, and sometimes it takes a while. So I'll assure people listening this is about Tolkien but I'm going to go back a little in time. That's fine. That's uh, fine. My father, who had the store for years before me, was a character and uh, became very good friends with a um, journalist, uh, radio personality, probably before almost any of us know. Uh, his name was John Kieran. Uh, he, re- he had a radio show um, called Information, Please, where he – this was in the – 40s and 50s and earlier even, and even into the 30s. And it was basically a quiz show type of uh, show. You, people would come on, they'd ask them questions. It would sort of be, can you answer the questions? Um, actually, one of the per- people who was the most knowledgeable that they asked the diff- most difficult questions was a baseball player named Mo Berg. Whom we've talked about in this podcast. We've talked to him, but Mo Berg, they, the, no matter how esoteric they asked, they couldn't stop him. he could answer the questions. <laughs> in any case, John Kieran, when he retired later in life, married a journalist from Boston. Her name was uh, Margaret Ford, and she was, wrote for the Herald and wonderful people, and they lived in Rockport, Massachusetts. And I remember with my father, I used to go out there uh, – uh, for a lot of times, and John Kieran would tell stories, tell about the books, tell about the uh, when he worked for the New York Times. And he said one of the stories I loved was he said one time he got asked to give a uh, address at an Ivy League university, and the person who introduced him obviously was looking down on him because he was the sports editor, mm. and you know, and who would so he said. Because the man was so rude, he said he gave his whole talk in Latin. <laughs> That'll show him. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly what he said. I love this guy already. But, but in any case, Margaret Ford or Margaret Kieran, her sister was a woman named Ann Ford. See how these stories just go that's around. Okay. And, I'm following. But, but was a woman named Ann Ford, who we also got to know very well, who was very nice. Her initial job, she was in the public relations, uh, and her— First job, one of her first jobs, she was with the Theater Guild in New York. And she actually tells a story of one day she was eating lunch with George M. Cohan, who was one of the big, big figures in New York uh, theater. And um, in any case, George M. Cohan said to her, look, there's a new actor. I think he's a good guy. I think he'll be doing well, but he's really having a hard time. Could you just, Ann, could you just take him to lunch sometime? So George M. Cohen introduced her to Jimmy Cagney. And she, as a young actor, she got, you know, took him out to lunch, got to know him. And now let's jump ahead a number of years. I remember I was uh, with her once and she said, 
you know, one time we were walking across Boston Common with George M. Cohen, mm-hmm. and he said, everybody's saying, hi, Ann, hi, Ann, hi, Ann. Nobody knows George M. <laughs> and so, so she, that was his personality. But yeah. jumping ahead to where I knew her, she was in her later 80s and a wonderful lady, but she was getting worried that she had never married that a lot of her things might get lost or just thrown away because nobody would know what they were. She lived out in the Berkshires at the time. She called called me up and said, could you come out and look at some of her things? She was a friend. We didn't ask too many questions. We said, I said, sure. I, I was there. I went myself. When I got there, she was on the phone with Jimmy Cagney oh, and saying, nice. gee, I don't get to talk to him as much as he's getting older. The people who are taking care of him are a little more restrictive and protective. Mm. So you're hearing all this. I'm waiting 15 minutes while Jimmy Cagney's on the phone. <laughs> uh, again, old time, uh, one of the greatest actors, old oh, time. Nice. And, and he was in a movie where he played George M. Cohan. So Yankee that, Doodle Dandy. I mean, it's one of the great films of all time. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways, I get out to her house. And what her last job had been, she had been public relations director for Houghton Mifflin. Now, Houghton Mifflin published in America the Tolkien, Tolkien. The, the three books. And she was. it was very popular. It was doing very well. But she was getting questions from the public, from reporters, you know, who is this? What is this? What's the purpose of the book? Why is this? Mm. So she wrote him a letter and said, could you answer these questions for me? And, of course, he was wanted the book to be a great success. So he answered a lot of them. And when I was out there that day, in her closet, she pulled out this letter. Um, now, I kept a copy of the letter. I have to admit we did sell it. It's one of the few things that I regret selling. I wish I still had the original, but every once in That's a while that happens. Certainly fine though to see his his actual handwriting you there see, on his see Xerox his handwriting, copies. and you also I uh, they had had a typed uh, copy of it, but it was a fascinating letter. Uh, one of the first questions they ask is his name. W- what's the origins? Where is J-R-R. it from? Yeah, where is he from? Turns out he was born in South Africa, but very young he moved up. And he said that uh, it's from Suffolk. He's from the Suffolk area, um, and this is where the name came from. Uh, he was a professor of philology, which languages, Germanic languages, Romance languages. He was very interested in Anglo-Saxon, Middle English, mm. alliterative verse, uh, with a childhood tension, with, and that's what led to his being interested in languages. And the interesting part about it is when she asked, you know, what's the book about? What's it? What's the purpose of the book? He said, actually, he never intent- thought that it was going to be all that popular, but it was actually more a study in language. And that was what he was more interested in. Interesting. And he said that the fact that it was sort of almost a fairy tale romance, he said, that was just sort of a way for me to get the language into it in the <laughs> Middle English. He said, Middle Earth. He said, that wasn't, it was a place that came from Middle English. Yeah. And if you sort of go back, you'll see Middle Earth there. And then he was saying that um, he was one time a professor and he got a, an award in France. And he said he was very surprised that, that he got introduced as, and I'll translate from the French, the creator of Bilbo Baggins. He said they didn't talk about his thing. That he created Bilbo Baggins and The Hobbit. And he said The Hobbit was just a, 
a children's story that he wrote for his children. And uh, one day a publisher, and this was back in the 30s, one day a publisher saw it, tried to convince him to publish it. They finally published it. And uh, and it was very, very successful. And then they said they actually wanted sort of a sequel. Well, it was 10 years in the writing and many, many years later, and he came out with it. And um, and he was saying, you know, this so-called fairy story, one of the highest forms of literature, that's what he thought about fairy stories. Mm-hmm. He said they're very underrelated, always erroneously associated with children. But in my, in my view on that, I set out in a lecture delivered at St. Andrews, eventually published in essays and presented to Charles Williams, who was another famous English author, on fairy stories. And they really were saying they're not that much of a fairy. Then she asked, you know, why is it a trilogy? He says, well, it was a big book. The public, <laughs> the, he said there was absolutely no intention whatsoever on his part to have a trilogy. He said the publisher just insisted that it was too big. The different names of the stories, he said there was really no change or Do you difference. know how valuable this is for listeners and for people like me? Because, I mean, I've been a Tolkien fan, seen the movies, read the books, and... It's it's almost as if he's here in the room speaking to us. Well, in a way, right? He I is mean, and through his words and that in that written interview. Well, the written written interview, wow. and and she then used that. But it, it's also very interesting uh, when you talk about collectability. Now, I had this letter years and years and years ago, uh, before any of the movies, before any of mm-hmm. that came out, and I think at the time. It was about a three thousand dollar letter. Now this letter probably could sell for ten or fifteen thousand, if that, not is, more. That's got to be due to the overriding popularity since the films were huge successes. More and more books were sold after that, right? I mean, well, it, 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 both because yeah. the books and the uh, were very popular right. and sold very well. But any time a successful movie comes out. If it's a really, really good movie, the book being made into the movie and everything to do with it can tend to go up in value. I mean, would Gone with the Wind being be such a highly collected book if nobody made a movie of it? And, and that's interesting because it was a bestseller at the same time as Except, the movie. In this case, Tolkien was dead for many years, obviously, uh, but but yeah. uh, the, the, and, and there was a an animated movie in the 70s that did so-so, but this was there was nothing like the uh, Peter Jackson. Oh, film. yeah. And, and, and many times I think the Peter Jacksons are a little more violent than the, yeah. the book. I mean, also in this letter, Tolkien's talking about nature, and that was one of the big things, the nature of the world. And, and he said, I, I, I hate to see a tree hurt. Mm. Almost as much as I feel about cruelty to animals. Mm. And trees were one of my favorite things, which, of course, with the ants and saving everything. But, you know, also when you talk about value with Tolkien, it's it's pretty amazing. The Hobbit came out in the 30s. And if you get a really perfect copy of The Hobbit, it can go for thousands of dollars. I was doing an antiques roadshow with a colleague of mine. The person didn't come to me. They came to the person next to me because I was doing it. But it was a signed copy of The Hobbit, a first edition. It had the dust jacket. A school teacher had gotten it. Someone had given it to him as a gift back in the 30s or 40s. 
That book now is worth over $100,000. <laughs> the Hobbit. Now, the trilogy that came out in the 70s, if you get a really, really fine three volumes, all in perfect shape in the English edition, it's probably worth $20,000, $30,000. The American edition is probably worth about a quarter to a half of that. But a lot of that has to do with the great popularity of the books. But everybody now and why it's continuing is the movies Mm. go on, continue to go there. And then you get letters and documents. Do you recall the individual who purchased it by any chance? Was it a was it a rabid fan? It was a person who was a rabid fan, and I know that uh, unfortunately, probably two or three years after they bought it, they ran into some financial oh. difficulties. But they sold it to another collector who now has it. I'm not sure where it's gone from it's there. It's like the ring. It's. Being yeah, eternally exactly. chased. It's, it's my precious, the ring. <laughs> and, and I have to admit, I did. There was one that I, I really yeah. loved because when I was in high school, I, I went to Boston Latin School and I had an English teacher who wanted us all to read. And it was a very grade conscious school. And if you read 10 books a month, he didn't care what you read and wrote a book report, no more than 50 words, because he said he couldn't stand reading <laughs> more than 50 words of our writing. He would give you a higher grade. But then he would negotiate. If you read Silent Spring, you got five whole books worth. If you read the Tolkien, you got 10 books worth because he said they're big books. So I remembered Tolkien first and was introduced in high school, have a love of it. Mm. Then I obviously went into my father's business, have had copies in first editions. And But I'll tell you, this one letter is one of the things that still stand out that I wish I still had, although I have to admit, probably if I still had it, I'd sell it again. <laughs> and, then, and then say that I wish I still had exactly. it again. Exactly. <laughs> well, the, the point is you shared this story. It's one of the many stories that uh, comprise the Brattle experience, and we're thrilled that you shared it with us on the podcast. Well, I, it's always fun. And, it is uh, great fun. And again, with, with people, when they're, if they're hearing it, if they have questions, they have stories, they want things to be elaborate on, elaborate on, send an email. I'll... I can talk about almost any subject if it's about books. It's a cabinet of curiosities, (laughs) and I'll tell you, there's so much more. We haven't even scratched the surface. But if people want to find out more, again, brattlebookshop.com. And this particular podcast is gaining in popularity. We want you to download, subscribe, rate, and review. It's available on all major platforms, including Apple. And in this day and age, when we talk about people's attention spans being less and less, I think it's exciting that people are into this. I, I am. People into this, they're into books. They still read. They still do. God bless him. Thank you. <laughs> the Brattlecast, uh, really a lot of fun with Ken Gloss. I'm Jordan Rich. A first-hand look at second-hand books. You guys have a great day. <laughs>